Well, this morning I'm going to present to you a very uh, simple topic. It's called the origin of life. You know, we're moving into a period of time when we remember in a special way the birth of Messiah Jesus. What we really desire is for the spirit of truth to open up to us the birth of Jesus, perhaps in ways that we have never had it opened up to us before, the magnitude of what really occurred when God became flesh and to realize the uh, absolute blessing to the world that this is. It's a very enormous concept. It's something that is so profound that our minds uh, struggle to conceive of it. As we, as we assemble in a moment such as this, we're so dependent on the person of the Holy Spirit to reveal the word of the Lord to us because there is no real benefit to our, uh, to our assembly other than in some kind of social sense, unless the word of the Lord is open to us so that we can actually receive it. And so that is our desire, that is our prayer this morning, 
Let me just begin with a couple of quotations from Galatians. I'll begin with Galatians and then move to the Gospel of John. In Galatians, we read from the, from the Apostle Paul, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In John's Gospel, we have read this so many times, but I want to read it again with you this morning. The topic is the word becoming flesh. And this is what happens in the birth of Messiah Jesus. Again, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Our topic again this morning is the origin of life. The origin of life. So the word is logos. In the beginning was the logos. The logos was with God. And the logos was God. The word logos, as we understand, carries the meaning of it's, a, it's something said. In, to include the thought behind what is said. So it's not just what is said, but it's the thought behind it. And it encompasses uh, the reasoning faculty. So if you think in terms of information, if you think in terms of intelligence, if you think of all these things, the ability to formulate thought and to express that thought, this is the idea of the Logos. So in the beginning was the Logos. The Logos is God. It was in the beginning with God. And it is the birth of the Logos into the world as a human being that we remember in a special way, the birth of Messiah Jesus. Again, it says all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And so let me say to you this morning, how many of you are familiar with salamanders? Salamanders, maybe not one of your most favorite creatures, salamander. I see some of you kind of recoiling from the idea. But it's, the scripture says that apart from him, nothing uh, was made that was made. That includes the salamander. And I have a little something on a salamander I want to show you in just a moment. So let me g begin with a couple of uh, little videos that uh, we have seen before, but I want to see it again with you this morning because of the idea of uh, things that we cannot see unless we are assisted in seeing them. There's so many things around us all the time that we can't see. For example, you can't see a cell. Can you see a pin? Can you see a pin? You can see in your mind's eye a pin. You're capable of seeing a pin. But let me say this morning, I want to show you a little video of a pin. And on the head of the pin is a human hair. But not only is there a human hair. You can see the human hair, perhaps. But there are a whole variety of other things on the head of this pin to include a red blood cell right down to the smallest of all, which is a rhinovirus. And let me say that, uh, as before we even look at this, that the rhinovirus is so small, just a little bit smaller perhaps than um, SARS-2, uh, cov 2 just a little bit smaller, the rhinovirus, about maybe uh, 30 nanometers in diameter 
And Pat said to me, what is a nanometer? And I said, well, if you take a meter and you divide the meter into a meter and you divide the meter into a billion parts, and one of those parts will be a nanometer. And the size of the SARS-CoV-2 virus is about 50 of those little nanometers, 50 of those little parts. So this is microscopic. We're talking about something microscopic. And the reason I'd like to show this to you this morning is because we, there are so many things that we can't see. They're real, but we can't see them unless we're assisted in seeing. Let's watch this little video. There's no sound. It's just a video. All right, so we begin with the pin. You see the pin. Then we'll move to the human hair. You can see the magnification on the bottom. That's 10 times the magnification of the human hair. And this will move all the way up to approaching a million times magnification. This is from CellsAlive.com website. See the dust mite? That's going to stop when we come to a red blood cell. Ragweed, Poland. Did you like the dust mite, by the way? <laughs> all right, you see uh, these are all on the head of that pin. You can see the red blood cell. Pat will pause it there for a moment. Red blood cell. Because in a moment, what we want to do is we want to go inside of a cell and actually take a tour of the inside of a cell. And saying all of these things are happening around us all the time, are happening within us all the time. And we'll take a little tour of a cell just in a moment. But let's continue with this. And I'll get Pat to pause it when we come down to the rhinovirus. You see the baker's yeast, E. coli, staphylococcus. There's the Ebola virus. Now you come to the rhinovirus. And if the SARS-CoV-2 virus is just a little bit larger than this, all of these are very real, and it'll just continue to its conclusion. The next one I want to show you this morning is uh, the tour of the cell. As we see this, you saw the size, relative size of the cell, and it's like a manufacturing plant that's occurring inside the cell. So Pat will play that for us now. With computer animation, we can enter the cell to view this remarkable system at work. After entering the heart of the cell, we see the tightly wound strands of DNA storehouses for the instructions necessary to build every protein in an organism. In a process known as transcription, a molecular machine first unwinds a section of the DNA helix to expose the genetic instructions needed to assemble a specific protein molecule. Another machine then copies these instructions to form a molecule known as messenger RNA. When transcription is complete, the slender RNA strand carries the genetic information through the nuclear pore complex, the gatekeeper for traffic in and out of the cell nucleus. The messenger RNA strand is directed to a two-part molecular factory called a ribosome. 
After attaching itself securely, the process of translation begins. Inside the ribosome, a molecular assembly line builds a specifically sequenced chain of amino acids. These amino acids are transported from other parts of the cell and then linked into chains often hundreds of units long. Their sequential arrangement determines the type of protein manufactured. When the chain is finished, it is moved from the ribosome to a barrel-shaped machine that helps fold it into the precise shape critical to its function. After the chain is folded into a protein, it is then released and shepherded by another molecular machine to the exact location where it is needed. This is absolutely mind-boggling to perceive at this scale of size such a uh, finely tuned um, apparatus, a device that's, uh, that bears the marks of intelligent design and manufacture. And we have the details of an immensely complex molecular realm of genetic information processing. And it's exactly this new realm of molecular genetics where we see the most compelling evidence of design on the Earth. That is amazing in and of itself. But the question, of course, is uh, where do these instructions come from? If all of this is occurring according to instructions, and those instructions are in the DNA, and you have this, all that, the manufacturing that's going on even within the cellular level, where do those instructions come from? I want to show you now another little video of the salamander. It begins as a one cell. It's not the most beautiful of creatures, but it's a result of God's creation. So it would take a th about three weeks, three, four weeks for this to develop completely. And so time lapse photography has reduced that down to six minutes. And I have thought, I thought, well, six minutes is a little long for us, so I brought it down to three minutes. But So it's about three minutes. You'll see something that's taking about three to four weeks to occur uh, naturally. But again, it's happening because there are instructions there within the DNA of that cell. And those instructions are being followed precisely. And here we see the little video of the salamander. Now the huge question that's being asked now is about the origin of life. It's moving away from Darwin's, some of Darwin's ideas. But it's going right back to not just how things developed, uh, but what is the actual origin of the life? And this is a good time for me to introduce you to uh, Dr. James uh, Tour. James Tour is an American chemist and nanotechnologist. He is a professor of chemistry, professor of materials and science and nanoengineering at Rice University. 
in Houston, Texas. And a short time ago, uh, Dr. Tour issued a challenge to a number of other chemists and technologists. And he um, basically, he said he would provide them with all the ingredients necessary to, to create life, to bring life uh, about and uh, challenge them to do it. But let me, uh, let me defer to him because he knows what he's going to do. So I'll move into his presentation a little bit here after a certain amount of time had elapsed and no one had taken him up on his challenge. Let's listen to Dr. Tour. Again, this is the origin of life. Well, the 60-day challenge has expired. I have offered 10 people who work in the area of origin of life to answer five essential questions, five of many questions that have to be answered in order to build a living cell. One of the questions had to do with making polypeptides, another one with making polynucleotides, the RNA, and another one having to make the polysaccharides. I gave them all of the enantiopure small molecules, all the amino acids, all the nucleotides, enantiomerically pure, and all of the sugars, enantiomerically pure. And I said, all you have to do is polymerize these. None of them could answer those questions. Then I had, what is the origin of information? And finally, I had, build a cell. Let's say you had all of the different components, all the polymers, all the small molecules, and all you have to do is construct a cell. None of them could answer those questions. It's not that some people submitted questions to the experts. No, nothing came in. Nothing. Remember I told you that I would take down everything on my YouTube channel. I am going to take down all the content on my YouTube channel where I've critiqued Origin of Life. And I'd never publicly talk about it again. If all they did was answer one of those five questions, I'd take down everything. I'd stop bothering them. They couldn't do it. They couldn't answer it. So I'm not going to take out down anything. And remember what I told you, that if they can't answer any of the five, I will stop saying that we are clueless, but I'll start saying that we are utterly clueless. The entire area of origin of life is an absolute scam. Or okay, so you can watch all of this. You can access them either on YouTube or his own channel. And you can watch all of his uh, presentations on this topic of the origin of life. Dr. Tour is a very interesting person. He's a Jewish. He's a Jewish man that believes that Jesus is the Messiah. But he never introduces religion or scripture into his presentations on science. He divides it and separates it. He has a lot of presentations on Bible teaching and, and scriptural ideas, but when it comes to his presentation, such as this kind of presentation, it's just strictly a scientific approach. Very interesting person. He's, uh, he's kind of an aggressive personality. And, and that doesn't offend me because I know enough about the people that he is debating against or the ideas that he is contesting to know that he has to have a very, uh, a very defensive kind of posture to survive that. But very, very intelligent and interesting and well-studied Dr. Tour. But I'm going to change now my thoughts with you and I'm going to come to Scripture with you. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. All this is just to say that, you know, what is the origin? What is the explanation for all of these instructions and for life itself? Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways, he spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, 
whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He made the worlds. So the, the, the actual answer, of course, to the origin of life is the word himself. Now, the Amplified Bible at this point says, when the statement, through whom also he made the world, the Amplified Bible says, and the reaches of space and the ages of time, he made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. So all of this instruction, all of these instructions are a result of his proclamation and his word, speaking all of that into existence, commanding all that. Verse 3, who being uh, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. And the amplification of this again, upholding all things by the word of his power, not only creating, but upholding, managing, maintaining. The Amplified Bible says upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. This is the birth of this person that we celebrate in a unique way this time of year. It says, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So let me just now visit a few places in Scripture where the word of the Lord, the word of Messiah Jesus, his word is so prominent and instructive to us. I believe this is the main part of our thoughts this morning, beginning now. John chapter 2, Wedding in Cana of Galilee. We've read it so many times. I want to read it again a little bit with you. Portions of it. It says his mother, mother of Jesus, they were there at the wedding. His mother said to the servants, because they had run out of wine. You remember they ran out of wine at the wedding. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, previous to this, Jesus had made some comment to his mother and so on. I'm not mentioned that. But Mary... See, there's something here that is so profound because she's saying to the servants and emphasizing this, whatever he says to you, do it. Make sure you do exactly what he says for you to do, what he tells you to do. Can I just say something now? In our walk with the Lord, Jesus is our Savior. He saves us from sin. He, sa he has saved us from the penalty of sin. He's also saved us from the power of sin. And he's made it possible for us to walk and live in a holy life. But he has given us a life within. And this life inclines us to walk in obedience to him. And he will speak to us and he does speak to us. I'm going to encourage all of us this morning to um, think about this. I mean, the Lord would speak to me. Yes, he would speak to me. How do I understand his, what he says to me from my own thoughts? What originates with me and what originates with him, from him? Well, he'll make that clear to you. Ask him to make it clear to you. Be dependent on him. Do not place enormous dependence on your own way of thinking, your own ideas. What originates from you that's fine. That's all fine. We're, every, we have things that originate from us. But let's, um, let's endeavor to not place our dependence on what originates from us and live a prayerful life, which is constantly asking the Lord to 
be real to us, make himself known to us, to teach us, to instruct us, to guide us, so that we can develop in this area of learning how to hear his voice and distinguish what he says from all the other things around us. Now, this is what Mary is saying. Whatever he says to you, do it. And then Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. This is what he said. This is the one, this is the Logos who became flesh. This is the one who spoke the worlds into existence at the very beginning in Genesis. This is the one who said, light be and light was. And now he is saying, fill the water pots with water. And notice this, and they filled them to the brim. (laughs) So they did exactly what he said do. Then he said to them again, he's not finished speaking. Now he said to them again, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now, the purposes of these statements of Jesus, it's like uh, the information in the DNA that uh, when read and when, when, uh, and when acted upon within the, at the cellular level brings about the purpose of that or, the, or fulfills the instructions in the DNA. So there are instructions and there's a meaning and there is an intent in the words of Jesus. And as he speaks these words and as they obey him, then the purpose that he has in his instructions, the power to manifest those purposes or to bring those purposes into reality, then that power is manifested. And in this case, it was water becoming wine. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28. Just reading a few verses now from this portion of Scripture. Just to, just to present this uh, Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It says, at the conclusion, that so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. There was something that uh, they, they just, they had never heard anyone speak like this before. There was something about his words and there was something about his expression that was so unique they couldn't compare it to any other individual they had ever heard speak. It was unique. And he, and he uh, continues to be unique like this. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In another place in John's Gospel, around chapter 7 of John's Gospel, the religious leaders then spoke to those under their command and said, uh, ordered them to go and arrest Jesus. And he was teaching the people. And so they went to um, arrest Jesus. This would be the temple guard. And they returned without him. And the leaders said, why have you not brought him? Why have you not brought him? And their answer was, here it is. The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. No man ever spoke like this man. Now, my sense this morning is not so much that this would just be a history lesson about Jesus, as important as this is, but that we would come into a deeper realization, perhaps, than we ever have before, about the power of his word and how dependent we are on his spoken word. Is he able to speak to us in our day-to-day experiences, day-to-day life? Is he able to lead us specifically with regard to uh, needs that we are aware of? 
I mean, if I were to ask for all of us who have needs and are aware of needs around us to raise our hands, our, all of our hands, I'm not going to, but all of our hands would be raised because we are all aware of needs, some of them very serious needs. I don't know about you, but sometimes I weary of just lamenting the needs. Just saying, oh, there's so many things, there's so many needs, there's so many needs. Sometimes I just weary with that and say, well, what about the solutions to these needs? What about answers to these things? We have all these questions. Well, what are the answers to the questions? What are the solutions to the lives around us that are actually being destroyed and suffering? And much of that is happening even sometimes within the close circle that we are part of. I know that's the case of every one of us in some way or other. But is it possible? Is it possible for us to be led by the, by the Lord, by the Spirit of God, as He reveals His Word to us? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to go outside of Scripture. I'm not going outside of Scripture ever. But what I'm saying is there's so many promises within the Scripture that pertain to this very thing that our minds are boggled by them and we are not, I believe, collectively, not walking in the fullness of the light of those promises. Why? Because there's something about the being authorized to speak certain things, being authorized or commissioned to do certain things by Him. When authorized by His Word, it's something that cannot fail. Fill the water pots to the brim and they filled them to the brim. Now take it to the master of the feast. They took it to the master of the feast. Things like this. These are everyday things, but followed exactly. The power is not in what they did. The power is in the word that commissioned them to do it. But they had to agree with it and obey it. And there are many things that we are privileged to obey. And we have to be very careful. I'm talking about walking in an area now where we, we have to walk cautiously. Uh, again, not putting dependence just on ourselves, not putting dependence entirely on other people around us, putting dependence on the Lord, developing a prayer life of intimacy with Him, saying, Oh Lord, lead me, guide me by Your Spirit. Reveal Your Word to me. Allow Your Word to come alive. You know, when, when you read the Scriptures and you read them, under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, and the Word, the Holy Spirit applies the Word specifically to your spirit, then that Word becomes alive in and through you and able to do what the Word promises to do. But let me come now to Luke chapter 1 as we come to the visit of Gabriel, Gabriel the angel, to Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Sent by God. What does that mean? He was sent with a message, a word to speak. He was sent with a communication. Here we come now to this idea of communication. And he was sent by God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, said to her, spoke to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. 
Then the angel again now, he, the angel is sent with a message from God. And the importance now is that the angel Gabriel will speak exactly the message he is given by God to speak. Because in this message is the power to bring it to realization. And this is what he said to Mary. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, which you call his name Jesus. And Mary said, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. It wasn't doubt. This is not doubt on her part. This is desiring an explanation, which is perfectly fine with the Lord. He doesn't mind that we ask him questions. I believe he's designed us to ask him questions. What I've discovered is that he will suggest the question that we, he wants us to ask. How can this be since I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, and this is really important here, listen to this carefully. The Holy Spirit, she wants to know how it will come to pass that she would become basically the mother of a child. She has no experience with a husband and she thinks this is impossible. How can it be? How can it be? How will it happen? And the angel's answer is specific to her question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative. Now this is interesting to me because the angel Gabriel is bringing up the name of Elizabeth. The angel is mentioning Elizabeth. Mary's not just thinking about Elizabeth. The angel specifically mentions Elizabeth, who is a relative. She lives in the hill country of Judea, a considerable distance from where Mary lives. We have all these questions about Mary. How old? I don't know. How old is Mary? I, I gather from, I, I like this, um, when it comes to scripture, I like this term that we used to be familiar with in another vocation the preponderance of evidence, the weight of the evidence. You, know, you take everything into consideration and weigh it and, and, and evaluate it or, or value it according to the preponderance of the evidence. And when you do that with Mary, I don't think you come with a 13-year-old girl. I don't think you come to somebody who is just really, really young. Was it possible for them to, in that culture to be married at such a young age? Well, yeah, yeah, could have been. I know some in our own culture that married rather young. But I don't believe Mary would have left at the age of 13 and embarked on this journey. I just believe she was older than that. I don't know how old she was. So let me move away from that extraneous thought. But this is the most important thing to me right now is the angel is mentioning Elizabeth. He said, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. Six months she's beginning to show. Remember, Elizabeth hid herself away until the birth of John. This is amazing. This is amazing to me. You remember how the angel appearing to John's father said that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even within his mother's womb. And we're about to see all this. There, there's something here. John is to be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet within his mother's womb. Uh, Mary 
is to be uh, overshadowed and moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And this will explain the uh, conception of the word within her. The angel said, nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. It is very important now that she is responding because there has to be an, an obedience to the w- word of the Lord. Somebody said, well, God wants to do all these things. Why doesn't he just go ahead and do them? There's this marvelous reality within our lives as believers that we are moved upon by the word and spirit of the Lord to act in certain ways according to his will, but we need to obey him, obey him. And Mary is obeying it now, the word, and agreeing with the word and accepting the word. And I've always thought in previous, up until very recently, my thought has always been, and I think I've said this a few times, that in this moment when Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed, I I always said, is at this moment that the conception of the word within her occurred. But I don't believe that's right. I believe I've said that before. I'm being very humble about all this. I'm just talking about the way we think about things based on what we receive from as we read the Word. I go back to that preponderance of evidence again. I don't think it leads us to this conclusion. But Mary said now, let it be to me according to your words. But this is very important. She's accepting the word of the angel. But does she become impregnated with the word right at this moment? I don't believe so. Let's continue to read. But the angel mentions Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting because Mary decides that she's going to go and visit Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Is she led of the Holy Spirit in this? I believe absolutely. Yes, she is. No question. Is there an inference from the word of the angel to her? Yes, I believe so. But in this moment, it says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, something now profound begins to occur. Because as Mary is speaking these words of greeting, it says the baby, this is John, yet within his mother's womb, Elizabeth being six months along in her pregnancy, The baby or John leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. John is filled with the Holy Spirit, yet within his mother's womb. There is a visitation of the Holy Spirit in this place in a profound way, overwhelming way. The power of the Most High overshadows the whole place. Elizabeth is anointed of the Holy Spirit. John within her is anointed of the Holy Spirit as soon as they heard the words that Mary spoke by way of greeting. This is the moment. This is the moment. Then she spoke out. This is Elizabeth. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And she has no idea about anything that's happened with Mary. She's anointed of the Holy Spirit. And being empowered now to say things, to speak words that do not originate with her. But she's cooperating with the speaking. Spirit of God does not impose things on us. He doesn't impose them on us. He calls for our cooperation and yieldedness to him. It's not always easy to do it. But it's always imperative to do it. 
Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth still speaking. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I believe in this moment because the angel had said, power of the Most High will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. She wanted to know how it would happen. He said, that will happen. In other words, it will happen at some point future to this moment. And I believe the moment future to that, when it happened, is right here. The Holy Spirit manifested in a tremendous way. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. John is anointed of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the words from the angel previously, while yet within his mother's womb. Mary, now, in this moment, is impregnated with the Logos, the Word becoming flesh, and beginning the nine-month period of development within Mary's womb. Marvelous and marvelous and marvelous. She's still so anointed of the Holy Spirit, Mary is here, that she begins to prophesy. She prophesies. Oh my. And here we have beginning at verse 46, and I'll read some of this prophecy. In fact, I'll read it all because I don't think I should omit any of it. This is called Mary's Song of Praise or the Magnificent. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly, and he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months. And then she returned to her home. Let me close just with a couple of things. I've thought about sharing this with you. Part of me has resisted sharing this. Part of me wants to share it. You know I'm going to share it, right? <laughs> because I've already said I'm good. So, so the part of me that's resisting sharing it, I'm going, to, I'm going to decline and I'm going to go ahead and share it. I have, uh, let me preface this uh, closing comment with this. I think all of us have experienced certain times of disappointment in our Christian lives. Some of us have prayed for things that, and for the Lord to do certain things and, and those, those prayers were not answered. And somebody uh, uh, tries to offer up explanations for why. I'm not going to get into any of that. I don't, but we, as a result, sometimes have been disappointed. And some of these disappointments have been really big disappointments. Sometimes, you know, when you go through a period like that and you pray for things and, and the answer is not forthcoming, 
And you get to a place sometimes where you say, well, why pray at all? I'm just going to be really blunt with you. Now, I'm not saying I believe that, but you get tempted with these kinds of thoughts. I do. Some of us do. Why pray at all? Why talk about these things at all? You're just offering the people some kind of hope and some kind of, uh, you know, for example, if we pray for healings, physical healings, and the person we pray for dies. And we say, well, how eager am I to go and advocate for physical healing? Maybe what I should do is I should prepare people for, to, for death rather than encourage them to believe for healing. So we go through these kinds of things. But you know, when I come right down to the deep, where uh, the deepest part, or where the, um, what do you say, where the rubber, as we say sometimes, where the rubber meets the road, or where the ultimate reality is, I cannot go away from what I believe to be clear teaching of the Word of God. Whatever happens in our experience, be it as it may, I'm not going to not believe what the Word clearly teaches. And I have to say it. I have to say what I see. And all these questions I have, one day they will be answered. And all I can say right now is that there are reasons why, even though I may not know what those reasons may be. But I cannot shrink away from declaring the message of that salvation includes the healing of the body. I have to say it because it's true. Not because my experience agrees with it. Because much of my experience does not agree with it. Some of it does, much of it does not. That's not my message, my experience. It's what the Word teaches. Let me close with this. I'm going to go back now to about 1915, 1916. One of the dates was November the 3rd, 1916. And I mentioned to Patricia, I said that was one year exactly before my mother was born. So mom arrived November the 3rd, 1917. So one year before, this is the period of time now, I'm talking about a wonderful move of God in miraculous ways, in times of great revival. One of the main evangelists in this movement was a lady. She was a lady. Mightily used of the Lord. I'm not going to get into names and all of this kind of thing or places. and I'm not going to get into all that because that's not the most important thing. I've looked at them very, very carefully. I've looked at them very critically. I know there's a lot of false things going on. I know all that. You, we all know that. But because there's something counterfeit or there's something false, that only testifies to the fact that there is a genuine. You cannot have a counterfeit unless you have a genuine. It is the genuine that I want to love and embrace and experience and for you all to experience it too and for the Lord's people beyond the walls of this little place to experience in tremendous ways, in genuine, real, legitimate, biblical, scriptural ways. Not something fad, not something like that. It'll be really genuine. Here's a lady and she has cancer. And she has cancer of all places. She has cancer of the tongue. Her tongue. And she can't speak. She can't talk. She can't hardly eat. And the doctor said the only way we can save your life is to remove your tongue. And she heard of a particular place. She heard reports that there were people being healed. 
This was in California in about 1916. This is not Azusa Street. This is subsequent to Azusa Street and, and really not really related to Azusa Street spe specifically because this basically ministry had been occurring before Azusa Street commenced. So she went to this meeting and she sat for about three days and listened to the teachings. And the teachings were that in the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided for us is included the healing of your body. Well, I know some don't believe that. I don't care what people believe. You can believe whatever you want. Uh, what I really care about is what we believe to be true according to the scripture. So she sat for two or three days and she listened to it. And as she listened to it, now here's something that begins to happen. The word that she heard from the scriptures become real to her. It's like a, the idea of a rhema word. The idea of it's the word that breaks the silence within. See, there's, there's a word that we can just read, you know, and read and stuff. But sometimes, you know, when you read the scriptures, the word of the Lord, the word will break a silence within your spirit and you will hear it in your spirit, in your heart of hearts. And that's when you really hear the word of God. And it's called a rhema. It's the idea of breaking silence within. And this is what began to happen. And she began to have a confidence because faith means confidence. Faith means confidence. There has to be a basis for faith. And she began to develop within her a basis for confidence that if she would go and sit in that chair and have hands laid on her and the prayer of faith in that place prayed over her, that she would receive. And she did. And she went after two or three days and she sat in the chair. The cancer completely left her tongue. She was made entirely well, every, every bit well. And it took a day or so for her to, the, the fullness of the healing to manifest that she was able to come and she had recovered her speech and she was able to stand on the platform and testify to the very things that I'm just sharing bits and pieces of with you this morning. You know, when I read that, it was almost, uh, you know, sometimes when you read things, it's almost as if you uh, can see the, see the event. My heart went out to her when I first, I know something about cancer of the tongue. I, oh my goodness, I said, that's just horrible. I can't think of anything more dreadful than that. Well, this was about 1916. She was made every bit well. Now, you say, well, what was it? Did she have faith? Yes, she had faith. But she had faith before she got up and, and sat in the chair and was prayed for. She had faith before she went up and still she was not healed of it. So faith is important. Faith is that part that receives it, welcomes it. Like Mary saying, be it unto me according to your word. That was confidence and faith. But there was power in the word that was spoken to her to bring about the word becoming flesh within her body. In this particular woman's case, it was healed of cancer of the tongue, is that when she sat in the chair, it was a woman actually who prayed and laid her hands on her and prayed over her and commanded the sickness to leave her in Jesus' name. Now you could say those words and nothing would happen. But if you're authorized from the Lord and given authority to do it by him, and if you are commissioned to go forth 
and to speak those words in his name because he specifically gives you the authority to do it, then when you do it, it's as if he is doing it himself. And the results will be the same. So what is the origin of life? Well, we know the answer to the origin of life. May the Lord be with you and may he guide and guard you. May you be well in him. May he lead you according to his will for your life in every detail, in every part, every aspect. But he has a specific and special purpose. May his will be done in your life. In Jesus' name. I sing the mighty power of God that makes the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and build the lofty skies. I sing the Come Thou Found of Every Blessing is the opening song this morning, presented by the Heralds. The album is Christian and Gospel. The closing song this morning is I Sing the Mighty Power of God. This is by Terry Blackwood, and the album is Hymns and Classics. The Lord that fills the earth with food, He formed the creatures with His word, and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed Where'er I turn my eye If I survey the ground I tread Or gaze upon the sky There's not a plant or flower below But makes thy glories known And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne. While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care. And everywhere that man can be, thou God art present there.